Hi, my name is Bridget, and I've never seen Superman. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. As always, my name is Adam. And I'm Johnny. And this is the show where we show somebody, anybody, sometimes multiple people, a film they've never seen before, but they absolutely should have. Today, as you heard up top, we are joined by Bridget, who has never seen the 1978 Superman the movie. Bridget, welcome. Thank you. Now, this is, I believe, our first real... uh, I hesitate to use the word real, but real superhero movie. I mean, we watched The Rocketeer, which is based on a comic book, but not really in the same vein as like a a Superman or a Batman. Um, so we're we're delving into the world of superheroes today. So we are making sure that Bridget sees this thing that really kind of kicked off superhero movies in earnest, although it didn't really pick up more so until like Batman 89. But Nonetheless, this was like the first big screen, big budget superhero movie. So I want to kind of get your guys' baseline on superhero movies. I know we've discussed that I am clearly the expert on this show when it comes to to superhero movies. But Bridget, I'll start with you. Kind of what is your familiarity with the superhero genre? I'm fairly familiar. I have not watched a lot of what's come out recently uh, in terms of the Marvel, the current Marvel universe. I dropped out right around Guardians of the Galaxy, which I enjoyed, but I just, I don't know. I'd like, I'm a little tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm it can a bit be, fatigued. <laughs> it can be hard to keep up with them. And especially when you think about the fact that like now you're a full seven years behind. It's true. So, like, it's an even more daunting task to even think about, like, catching up. That's why it's almost better if you just go when they come out. It's like trying to watch a a series that has 10 seasons that you were like, oh, I watched, like, the first couple, and now there's 10 seasons of a show. And it just is, like, a daunting task to even think about trying to catch up. Yeah. I did. Now I'm, I'm rethinking. I've seen Black Panther. I've seen Second Guardians. But the overall, like, keeping up with, like, the whole Avengers, I, like, I just don't, ugh, whatever. <laughs> um, the things that I think charm a lot of people about these movies, I am not necessarily charmed by. I also, there's a part of me that feels frustrated that they seem to dominate the market nowadays, um, and particularly with Disney, which owns Marvel, owning, you know, 20th Century Fox, and really kind of taking a hold of the market in a way that it seems like it's harder for for smaller stories to become available. Not that they're not out there, but I'd just like, I'd like a break. I'm fatigued. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, but, you know, I have enjoyed... A lot of what I've seen, I loved the Nolan Batman movies when they came out. I loved the Tim Burton Batman. Um, I loved Batman the Animated Series when I was a kid. 
probably the, the greatest comic book adaptation ever. I would make that argument. Loved Spider-Man when I was a kid. So I don't know how I, I missed out on this. Neither of my parents are superhero people, so I guess that, that could be a part of it. Um, I just like the idea that someone's not a superhero person. I just the idea is funny. <laughs> like, just not not their bag, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and Superman, I find to be a hard character, even though he's very iconic. His role as an icon makes him difficult to attach yourself to as as a, a viewer, a reader. However, you're you're taking it in. My feeling from a distance is just like, eh, he's bland. All right, he's Superman, fine. Problem with him is when you're indestructible, pretty much, and have all of the powers, it's how do you mm-hmm. make that compelling and relatable when it's just like, he could literally do anything and only one thing can stop him. So it's Yes, hard. you have one singular weakness. Yeah. I wonder yeah. what's going to drive the plot every single time. Yeah, exactly. So it, it makes that's why for a kind think, of hard scenario. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's why studios dragged their feet for like as long as I did with the like the Superman versus Batman because it's like you're kidding, right? You're <laughs> kidding, right? It's like Superman's going to fucking kill this guy. Yeah, because one is a fucking whatever. I don't want to get into spoilers of like the his origin or anything, but you know it's just. One is more human than the other. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in in the the easiest terms, but and I mean yeah, I not to sidetrack this, but the the thing with Batman is though is if you give Batman enough prep time, he could defeat anybody, God or you know, superpowered being or what have you. So like that's kind of the idea. So regardless, at least there's some history for Batman fighting Superman. So it wasn't the craziest idea, but it definitely No, right. It's not the craziest idea, but like to like to a wide audience who's vaguely familiar with like the powers of each yeah. it's like one has like uh you know james bond toys painted black and then like <laughs> one can zap you with his eyes yeah one is a man and one is a superman so like yeah, <laughs> yeah. quite literally yeah so that that's my sort of rundown i do know i know superman's backstory i know that he uh, is sent here as a fledgling child like moses Kryptonite, Kal El, like I get it. Okay, I know okay. it. So there's like there's not anything content wise that is going to surprise me in this movie. I don't think. Okay. So it'll be nice to just watch a fun movie. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm anticipating. Nice. So what about you, Johnny? What's kind of your history with the superhero genre? Uh, this one lived on the VHS rack for sure. This one and the second one, I don't have too much history. There's like a third one and then like a fourth one with like Richard Pryor or some shit. Yeah, um, forget those exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, kind of love this movie. Haven't seen it in like 10, 15 years. So I'm really excited for tonight, actually. Yeah, I, when I think of this movie, like I think of like when people talk about like America and Levi jeans and apple pie <laughs> and shit like that. And, and the, Superman, the Superman movie like belongs in that discussion. Yeah, it just it's it's a nice again, I don't want to get into like a review sort of discussion of it, but it definitely divorces itself from the kinetic action heavy attention deficit audience of like the Marvel people these days that like need like something to happen every other second and not something that like stews, you know what I mean? 
like those are pressure cookers. This is like a slow cooker. You know what I mean? That you would just have on all day. And not to say that the movie drags by any means, but um, it's methodical in its pace. Let's just say that. Um, yeah, this one was always, you know, one that I, I watched this one. And then I watched the um, the Michael Keaton Batman movies. And that was kind of like it for superhero content as far as in the cinematic world. I know there were television shows of both properties and other things. And it wasn't until like later that you saw like maybe like Iron Man, I think, showed up in early 2000 or something like that. There was a void in the 90s, I think, where there was nothing or Sp- I was, excuse me, Spider-Man showed up before him. Yeah, um, I mean, if you want to talk like the 90s, so like Batman would have come out and then you would have had Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, that would have dominated the 90s. But then you sprinkle in some of these other things of people trying to get their hands on comic book properties. So you Spawn, have things like yeah. Spawn, Dick Tracy. Um, some of these other like lesser known properties. And I mean, they've been trying to make Spider-Man movies forever. Like in the nineties, James Cameron was attached. They wanted to do like a Leo DiCaprio thing. So like there were all these different projects. Blade would have been coming out in the mid to late nineties. So they're like, there are a lot of these non Batman Superman type characters that were getting their due. Uh, But then what we know of today really kicked off in 2000 with the first X-Men movie. And then since then, it's been X-Men's, Spider-Man's. And then in 2008, the MCU starts and it just kicks this into complete overdrive. And you've got your Nolans in in the mid to late 2000s as well. And then even in 20, I think, 13 was like Man of Steel and the new DCEU kind of kicking off in earnest there. So. There was definitely but, some interspersed, but nothing on the level of like this or Batman or subsequent Marvel juggernauts. Right, right. So as far as like the in the last 20 years, what I've been familiar with, again, the Iron Man's, a couple of the Iron Man's, love the Nolan Batman movies, uh, watched the first Avengers, like they call them phases, uh, and I am somewhere in the first phase. And yeah, I completely understand Bridget's, you know, con about being fatigued by all of this content, but it's universally praised like a lot of them are. So, I mean, at least or at least the Marvel properties. I know DC has struggled to put out consistently good content, but I think it'll get there eventually in the right hands. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm indifferent about it. Maybe I just got to watch more of the phases and more of the movies and get into it and into the characters. I do know maybe just because I'm old or I'm getting to that age where I recognize these actors more famously from other movies that when something happens and they're like, oh, dude, isn't that isn't that Thanos? And I'm like, that's not fucking Thanos, dude. Like, that's like or, <laughs> that's or like, like, is that the older you know brother I mean? from the Goonies? Come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's Iron Man. It's like, no, that's the dude from like, uh, you know, what's back the, to school? Roddy Dangerfield or whatever. That, yeah, yeah. Back to school. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great movie, um, too. That's a great movie. So I get a little frustrated there, but that just comes with my age. So we'll get past that discussion. <laughs> but yeah, I I enjoy the superhero movies. It's an escape. And I like the injection of real world themes and morality, duality. All of that stuff is really interesting to me. And they 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 somehow come up with more and new ideas with each of these movies. So it's an interesting space in the cinematic world, but yeah, I, I enjoy most of them for sure. But yeah, I think this one may be top three superhero movies still for me at least. Okay. 
yeah, I mean, as you guys can imagine, I've seen pretty much everything <laughs> that's yep. somehow comic book adjacent from your your Supermans, your Batmans, all the way down to your like graphic novel history of violence type road to perdition type movies uh, that are based on graphic novel comic book style material things off the beaten path like you know scott pilgrim or the losers or just kind of anything for a while that had a this is based on a comic book slapped on it i probably went to see it i could probably credit the comic book genre with getting me back into like going to the movies on a regular basis just because you know i think in 2008 or 2010 something like that, i saw like a movie every week and you know some of them were your your Iron Mans and your Indiana Joneses, but then there's things like Kung Fu Panda and Get Smart and some of these other movies that would have come out that maybe I wouldn't have seen at the time, but like I got in the habit of going to the movies. So I'm like, oh, I'll check this out. I'll check that out. So as much as they can be maligned by cinephiles as trite or garbage or, you know, whatever kind of Martin Scorsese s takedowns you want to use, they're just, they're fun. I don't necessarily need to have a two-hour mindfuck to be an excuse to go see something or to watch a movie like i just can turn my brain off and watch explosions and watch characters that i grew up reading or grew up enjoying just doing things on screen that you never would have thought in your wildest dreams and to be able to see one of those every couple of months i just think is a super like fun and exciting time uh, i totally get not liking them like if that's if that's not your bag then seeing the commercials nonstop for each new one that comes out every other month is gonna get grading. So, you know, to Bridget's point about kind of having that fatigue, like, I get it. I totally understand. And I would never try to be like, no, you just got to get over that and like, just go make it appointment viewing to go to the movies every other, you know, <laughs> every other week, uh, because that's just not feasible. And, you know, if you don't like something, there's no sense in trying to push it on people. But for this movie in particular and some of the the older superhero movies before they kind of became a formula or a, just a st strictly popcorn situation, this one, uh, to your point, Johnny, is right up there. I mean, it it did so many things. I mean, the tagline for this movie is you'll believe a man can fly because it's just like a super realistic flight. And for 1978, it's like, oh, wow, holy crap. Like, that's kind of amazing. So it's just it's just a good it's just a good, fun movie. The score is impeccable. The the oh tune, God. yeah, the tune. If you don't know it already, Bridget will be like, "Oh, okay, I've I've definitely heard this before." Um, and it's reused and remixed in all kinds of different uh, Superman-related media. From do you know who composes it, Bridget? I do. Okay. I, okay. I I do know the composer. He's a dear friend. <laughs> I think we all like him very. A much. long-time friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, of course, talking about John Williams, uh, and that score is – it's something – I mean, granted, it's going to have a lot of the same kind of motifs and themes as some of his other things as we've talked about with, like, Indiana Jones seeming like Jurassic Park and all these different things. Star Wars kind of, particularly, he's on the heels of that. I mean, this is 1978. He would have yeah. just, you know, kicked out the Star Wars score. Yep. Yeah, and, and to that point, the score for this was, like, the very last thing done on this movie super late in the game. So it would have been it wouldn't have been one of those things where like they worked on it in 76 and it then got put out in 78. Like, no, this was done after the juggernaut that is the Star Wars soundtrack. So keep a keen ear for that. And the uh, 
the theme tune will definitely be the, the musical interlude and the break between parts for those <laughs> listening. So if you've never heard it before uh, and choose to to listen to part two without having seen the movie, you'll at least get that. Um, so strap on those headphones. It's going to be a it's going to be a hoot. <laughs> but yeah, I Superman's never been one of my number ones. Uh, I've always been in the DC world. I've always been more Batman just because I think you can tell more interesting stories and like you, Bridget, I would grew up loving Batman, the animated series, never really watched the Superman animated series, though I, you know, I know it's good and I've definitely seen episodes, but not the way that I watched the Batman one. So yeah, this movie's just a good, just a good fun time. Now, do you know anything about the movie itself besides the John Williams score? I know you mentioned knowing about Superman's origins, but do you know anything else about the movie? Anybody else in it, the director, anything like that? Um, I know uh, it's directed by Richard Donner, okay. I believe, uh, starring Christopher Reeve uh, as Clark Kent slash Superman. Uh, Margot Kidder, I believe, is Lois Lane. Um, I'm not sure. Who's the bad guy? Who's who's his nemesis? What's his name? I wouldn't dare say that on this podcast. Yeah, do you want particularly like, who's the character? <laughs> or who's the actor? Who's the character? Oh, Lex Luthor. Oh, Lex Luthor. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Oh, wait. No, I do know who is who Lex Luthor is. Actually, yes. Now that like as I'm saying things out loud, I know who it is. Right, and so I'm even more Hackman. excited. Yeah. I like literally just sat up in my chair. I almost <laughs> got up and and went for a skip. Uh-huh. Yeah, and went for a dive. Yeah, went for a dive. <laughs> yeah. Um, Favorite screamer, Gene Hackman. Oh, dude. He better. There better be screams. Um. You might get a few yells. There'll be some yells. So I have a good, good sense. I know that Marlon Brando. uh, Okay. Yep. That's a, that's an elephant in the room. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Is, is in it as well. Yeah. Um, We'll talk about some of the, the things surrounding the creation of the film with regards to both Hackman uh, and Brando in the after part, but I don't want any of that to inform your, (laughs) you know, watching the movie. I'm sure knowing the both of them, it's going to be fucked up and delightful. So I can't wait. <laughs> cool. So actually, you know quite a bit about this then. I do. I Just do. Just not the plot yeah. post or. She read the syllabus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, knowing what you know of both the character and the movie outside of just being a fun, relaxing kind of film, what are your expectations going into this? Or is it just as simple as that? <laughs> It kind of is just as simple as that. I know we were talking about what we were going to watch, and initially we had something on deck, and I just, we were, had both of these films as an option, and I sort of asked you guys, like, would the other film challenge me? I'm not in the mood to be challenged right now. <laughs> I just, like, I'm sure it's great. I just, I don't want to harsh the vibe. And so I am looking forward to what I imagine will be like an ice cream sandwich of a movie. This delightful, just enough substance, not too much though, sweet, heartfelt, exciting in the way that like an ice cream treat would be. So that's, those are my expectations. And I am very excited for costume corner and Mm. any outfits people are wearing. Okay. Yeah. there'll, There'll be some outfits here. There'll be some things. Now, Johnny, you said you hadn't seen this in probably, what, like 10 years, you said? Yeah. Do you have any kind of expectations? Or do you think that you're just going to slide right back into this and every beat's going to be familiar and like a 
warm, cozy blanket from your childhood. If I'm as familiar with the movie as I think I am, about like a few minutes into the movie, I'm going to be standing on my couch with my fist in the air, like 2001 Space Odyssey, <laughs> fist pumping. Yeah, I, my expectations, I listen, I will get to it later on about things that maybe I'm not crazy about this movie, but mm-hmm. um, I am thrilled to revisit all the things that I did love about it, the imagery, the sounds. Because like I said, it does, even in it, it does have like, it's really nice quiet moments where the movie is like at its most breathtaking, where no one's saying anything. And it's just the score and the visuals. And it's, uh, it's great. It's a, it's a great mix of a movie of sci-fi and romance and action. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to get swept up in it again. Nice. Yeah. Well, Bridget, I guess it's time to uh, to get to this. So what do you have to say for yourself? Fine, I'll watch it. just finished watching 1978's superman the movie bridget you were on the hot seat this week as you had never seen this film before so i want to know how are you feeling after watching this movie i was incorrect when i said this movie would be an ice cream sandwich (laughs) this movie is the perfect ice cream sundae you have with your grandpa at a diner and he gives you like the biggest hug afterward. I loved this. <laughs> it was so fucking good. Oh my Yay. god. So good. So delightful. And just so full of wonderment and joy and hopefulness. It lacks the sort of bitter edge. Not that a lot of like the Marvel movies have a bitterness about them, but they have more of like a a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And this doesn't have that. There are humorous moments in this movie, but it just says, wouldn't it be delightful if Superman were real? <laughs> and it is. But I mean, I wouldn't mean, it though? Yes, it yeah. would. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Christopher Reeve is so good. Margot Kidder is amazing. The score is amazing. It looks good. 
tens across the board. Nice. How are you guys feeling watching it again? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. This movie is in, like a nostalgia bomb for me. So I just I and I maybe have lied when I said 10 years because I feel like it's been a lot longer than that. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, love so many stretches of this movie. It just the the first third is just impeccable with Krypton and the music and the credits and the science fiction. I like the science fiction part of this movie a lot more than the other parts of the movie. But yeah, to what your point is, uh, Bridget, like there's this no pessimism anywhere in this movie. Like it's very, very optimistic. I love like the dreamy haze this movie has, like this filtery, this haze that's over this whole entire movie. The I just don't know if it's witch. <laughs> it is haze. that, yeah. It's like that. It's that era of cinema where like everyone who has blue eyes it just it just fucking pop. Yeah. <laughs> they just pop. But yeah, the music is just so iconic. I'll get into some of my faults a little later on, and they're the same things that I experienced as a child too. Um, and maybe they're just like coming back to me and I just can't shake them off and look like see it through an adult, like adult's eyes. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good warm time. Yeah. I had to get a different blanket cause I was just so darn cozy. I was like, no, I need to be cozy. <laughs> <laughs> this movie absolutely needs me to be as snuggled as possible and just grinning ear to ear for the entirety of the almost two and a half hour runtime. It's just, it's just fun. It's just a fun, nice time. So nice. My favorite <laughs> thing, my favorite thing is when Superman leaves, like when he helps that little girl get her cat out of the tree, she's like, wow, thanks, Superman. He says something like, of course, anytime. Bye. <laughs> just like, so oh, yeah. It's awesome. Goodbye, Frisky. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. It's so childlike. It, it just is. doesn't have any adult bullshit in it. Like it's but it's there, but it just doesn't. It's all kind of quickly breezed over. And it's not childlike right. in like a cheesy, campy, like for kids over the top kind of way like the batman tv show from the 60s is feels like a four kids kind of thing whereas yeah. this is just like this is it's 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 for all ages like don't even worry there's no there's no edge there's no angst it's just it's all hope and positivity and optimism and just you know what if what if everything was just grand and if it wasn't grand then here comes a guy swooping in and to to make it grand and if that's not grand enough for you, close your eyes and listen to the John Williams score. And oh, you're there. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, as soon I as was, we came on, you were humming along. I was the scene where he says goodbye to Ma Kent. And it's that sequence is so beautiful of like it's dawn and these big open prairies and the sun like the sky is periwinkle and hazy blue and slightly pink and you know he's off in the field and she goes out to get him and it's like it's like a norman day, rockwell painting or something days of heaven and <laughs> the score is swelling days like, of heaven am, yeah yeah i'm like am i tearing up what is happening <laughs> 
what is going on? Just. I know. Like, like I think I was saying before, it's those moments where there's almost no dialogue and it just, it's framed perfectly. The color palette is perfect. John Williams is just tickling the right notes. (laughs) It's, uh, it's grand. Yeah. It doesn't suffer from the Joss Whedon effect of people always have to be talking and someone always has to be saying something and someone has to just acknowledge how ludicrous this is. The movie just says, no, this is what it is. And you're going to take it at face value and you're going to fucking love it. And you're going to think about this ice cream sundae for the rest of your life. There's no one going to be like, I'm lactose intolerant in the middle of your meal. You're just going to go like, yes. This was exactly what I ordered. With perfect cherry on top. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> I have no notes. Just I have I have very little notes. Yeah. I didn't even keep them. <laughs> I was like, I know, <laughs> I I know how I feel about this movie. I know uh, what's there. <laughs> like all the stuff going through space and everything. It just like there's just stretches of no dot. It's like I'm watching. I'm literally watching 2001: Space Odyssey, or I'm watching. I don't know, but it's. It's great. It's good stuff. Yeah. Like when he leaves Krypton to go back and it's just like going through ink blots or however the fuck they did it. It just yeah. it looks so and cool. Galaxies and... Yeah. I can watch like a whole reel of that. Well, I mean, we can start there. What did you think, Bridget, of the the first third, as it were, uh, on Krypton in this very sci-fi space situation? Because that's not typically what you would think of with Superman. You think of Superman being, you know, Kansas and Metropolis and Smallville and not uh, these weird ice castles in space. Yes. (laughs) I was just. I was shocked by how good it still looked. I don't know. I was expecting more. It to look chintzier than it does, you know, like kind of crinkly foil and stuff i don't know why like they're in like those runner's blankets or something but it's a dress (laughs) that's what i was anticipating but we open up on the the hula hoop trial of the century (laughs) with general zod and then we just send them off to space we never hear from them again just like oh my god i love that i love that piece of glass so much when I saw that glass like flying into frame, I'm like, it, it hit me so hard in the feels. Like, I don't know how I can explain it. <laughs> Is that what made it's you like, jump up like, off the couch? <laughs> well, no, the credits got me rocking and rolling right from the get, but yeah. it's uh the credits bring you in like nothing uh, else. Like nothing else. And I do remember as a kid being equally as excited but also like this is long as fuck like (laughs) it really (laughs) is long for credits like let's just not beat around it it just it is longer than it should be but it's it's all it's a lot of fun yeah but yeah that piece of glass didn't make it through (laughs) oh jesus christ (laughs) he's like why is it so long and then that's what credits used to be like you had to you had to give everybody up top one thing that i one thing that i was surprised about and i don't know if it's just because I've probably watched it so much on TV growing up, or if I'm one of those that like, I always catch it at a certain point in the movie. I don't think I've ever seen that comic opening with the little kid voiceover that says like 1938, like 
imagine a time like where it starts with this kid opening up an action comics. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Dude, I, I am totally with you. And I don't know if this, and we, I've talked about this before on the show about like watching movies, my parents recorded and just missing like the first 30 seconds to five minutes of a movie. And then like later on in life as an adult, I watched the movie on streaming and obviously the full thing is there. And I'm like, what is this? Like, it's like a, <laughs> a, a scene, like an extra credit, like an extra credit scene or uh, just an add on scene or whatever bonus scene. But um, yeah, never recalled seeing that scene. It always started with like the Metropolis Globe or the planet, uh, whatever the fucking paper's called, um, the da- the Daily Planet. It opens with that. That's what I remember. But never remembered like the the kid and the comic book or anything like that. Yeah. And I like I have vivid memories of like the the names like flying at you and coming into focus and all these things or flying away from you, I guess. So that way you can read them on the screen. But when that started, I looked, I was like, wait, did I, did I select a documentary about the making of the movie? Like, did I, did I pick the wrong thing in HBO? Because I have never seen this opening in my entire life. I had that thought too. Just like, I did click the right thing. I guess well, this it is it. This a, feels strange. It starts with like the real world implication of Superman comics existed in 1938 with Action Comics number one and, you know, Wonderment and all, all the other things the kids said. And like I was Googling it as the credits were rolling, being like, is this a thing that got added back in later? OK, like, that's this... what I'm looking. I'm trying to look it up right now. And so you tried looking it up and it's. Yeah. And nowhere. everything was okay. just like, yeah, no, these are the this is the opening to the movie. I don't know what you're talking about, because I know that there's like a longer edit of this that was aired on TV. There's like a whole weird rights issue where like Richard Donner owns the rights to the theatrical cut of this movie, but some of the other producers own like the television rights to it. And then they put stuff from the cutting room floor back in. So I really thought that's what this was. And maybe it is. And I just didn't do enough research because I only had the credits to kind of (laughs) to Google it. But yeah, it was, it was mind boggling to me because I've never seen that before in my life. I'm saying Mandela effect. Yeah, maybe. It's never never there. Yeah. They they added it and they never told us it. They never gave us the memo. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's one of those things where it didn't test well or they were like, no, we don't need to everyone knows who Superman is. We don't need to pretend like it's this different thing. Like just just cut it. Just start with the space flying of words and we'll figure it out. I mean, listen, in the scheme of things, and I don't want to get too far off in this, but like it does seem like an odd intro like a cold intro to something that we never revisit in any sort of way we never come back to this talking there's a bookend to this movie with this kid talking so it's just a bizarre open i think yeah. in general but i think if they just open with a daily planet or like in my head i th- i was thinking like it's gonna open up with a universal globe and then it turns into the daily planet and then we're like in space that's how i always thought of it and i don't even know if this is a universal so maybe i had this in my head that it is but it's not <laughs> Um, no, it's, I assume Warner it's Warner Brothers. Yeah. It's Warner but, Brothers, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Mandela. Mandela. <laughs> so you survived the credits. <laughs> I I survived the credits. Yeah, the opening is dramatic. When Krypton explodes, it's very heavy metal. Like, oh my god! And then we just it's have a baby so flying through space, <laughs> like learning about who Charles Dickens is and Albert Einstein. It's so much flying at you, but 
nothing is happening at the same time. And it's just like, just take it in. Just take it in. Yeah, it doesn't feel like overkill because it's just like, oh, okay. We know that his dad is sending him down with all of the knowledge of all of the universes and galaxies around Krypton. And he's just giving him knowledge. He's just passing that knowledge on. That's fine. It doesn't seem like overkill. It doesn't seem like an overload of exposition. It's just, nope, baby's going to grow up just a little bit. And he's going to learn a lot of stuff through this weird recording of his dad. Marlon Brando. Yeah, what did you think of Brando? Um, He's he's there. He's a bit of a distraction just because he is Marlon Brando. And for me, it's hard to focus on the performance that he's giving and not put myself in a place where I'm imagining what kind of bullshit nonsense he was pulling behind the scenes. Would you like to hear some of the bullshit nonsense? Yes, I would. Please, let's get into it. It's all I could think about every moment that I saw him. So uh, so he apparently refused to learn any of his lines. Great. And required cue cards on set. Apparently, when he's talking to the baby Kal-El, they have the, you know, like the actual lines just laying there like... One of the things on the trivia said, like, I'm actually on the baby's diaper, but the baby's not wearing a diaper. So I think they just have, like, the cue cards in the little spaceship, and he's not he's not memorized anything. He's completely reading every single one of those lines. Uh, apparently, on the first day on set, he told Richard Donner, hey, let's just let's make sure the cameras are rolling during practices and rehearsal, because you never know. We might get lucky. Uh, basically saying, like, I don't want to do this any more times than I have to. When you get it, you get it. We're not taking any more, like, cuts or whatever. Uh, He basically only agreed to it because uh, he made them promise that he would get all of his filming done in, I think, 12 weeks. And then, like, that was it. He had, like, a hard out (laughs) 12 weeks. Uh, (laughs) And this was a movie that was actually filmed back-to-back with its sequel for, like, 70% of the sequel was filmed at the same time. So, like, he doesn't end up being in the sequel due to issues regarding his pay for this movie. And he was supposed to get, you know, back-end money based on gross and all this stuff that he said they weaseled out of. So he doesn't end up appearing in the sequel. Uh, but he was basically like, I'm only going to be in this if we get my part done in, like, a very short amount of time. And, like, we're only going to do – oh, sorry, I said 12 weeks. It was 12 days. They said, we have to compete – complete all my scenes in 12 days <laughs> i was gonna say like that seems generous yeah no, but sorry. yeah 12 days 12 days that sounds more in line with his character you gotta love someone who says work smarter not harder <laughs> just yeah. film everything yeah i don't i don't care i don't want to do any of this other stuff just i got 12 days hard out we need to be done so they basically just like filmed all his scenes just to get him out of the way. And then I was like, all right, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> but like his voice now is like, is that he is, you know, Jor-El, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the difference between like, cause obviously he's doing a, an accent in the Godfather or in like apocalypse. Now this is just straight Brando talking mostly because he didn't right. want to try acting at all. <laughs> he just wanted <laughs> to essentially do an audio book reading. <laughs> Of his lines. <laughs> but. Oh. 
he's actually not as bad as you would think, given how little effort he probably put into this. Like, I'd expect it to be a lot worse, but he still has right. some gravitas, which is it, kind of impressive. It is a testament to how talented he really was that reading off of a baby's diaper, he's still like, Brando. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm here. Kalel. How did they get the suits to glow? Like, what uh, was that effect? That was interesting. Yeah, the colors that... in the beginning sequence are so... I don't know. It's the same shit that you see on strips of, like, athletic gear and stuff like that. People go running at night. It's just yeah. a full suit of that. And you got lights all over the set. They just... And I'm sure there's some sort of color correction and stuff later on that boosts all those levels. But they are bright. They're bright. <laughs> And I mean, outside of like the white walls and like the crystalline look of the sets, like everything in the background is just black. So it's probably also like maybe how they did Tron, where it's just, okay, we're filming everything in the dark, essentially. And then you're going to be lit up as a result because everything else is just going to be blackness behind you. But yeah, I don't I don't know the specifics on on that technique. But you're right, Johnny, there probably was a lot of just the lighting on set and then some post work afterwards. Yeah. I do love like all the aesthetics and I love the ship. They send them off like all the crystals and it looks so sick. (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, it's so metal when when people just go flying. It looks like Poseidon all over again. (laughs) It does. Falling into that big red chasm and just like it's so sliding on rocks. God. Um, The other thing that stood out to me in the beginning that was making me laugh was, you know, Jor-El is talking about what it's going to mean to send his only son to Earth. You know, he'll be stronger, more powerful. He could be a leader. And the mom is like, people are going to think he's weird. <laughs> Nobody's going to like him. Like, her priorities in the grand scheme of thing things seem very... Yeah, like Just he's odd. like she's more concerned about him being pushed into like a locker in high school. It's like <laughs> not gonna happen, mom. All right, mom. I guess he should just die then. Like, yeah. what, you, what? To be oh. fair though, that is a motherly instinct of just making sure that even with all these special powers, he's gonna be thought of as a pariah and an outcast. And you know, she just wants to make sure that her boy is okay and protected and like it. It seems very motherly where the dad's all like, no, he's going to be strong and powerful and a general and the leader of the entire planet. Like, he's going to be the a big, badass Superman. She's like, yeah, but he's meek. Yeah, yeah. but who's going to take him to prom? <laughs> <laughs> you know what Krypton prom is like. It's cutthroat. <laughs> Earth prom is probably the same. That thing he leaves on looks like a fucking crown or tiara. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one thing, right. just to circle back to Brando, uh, in terms of him phoning it in, the one thing that does always bother me is how he refers to the plan as Krypton, because you know he's <laughs> he's just reading it off the page. Right. <laughs> like, everybody else, it's Krypton. Like, Clark learns about his home planet from the recordings of his dad calling it Krypton, and yet Clark and Superman refers to it as Krypton. Everybody else calls it Krypton, except for Jor-El, who's just like, Krypton's in danger. Krypton's going to explode. <laughs> this insurrectionist against Krypton. 
maybe in a in an off-screen scene during the 12 years that he's downloading all that information from Jor-El, it's explained to Kal-El that he has a speech impediment or something. Yeah. You know. His mom's just like, I hope you're not being bullied down there. And also it's Krypton. I don't know why your dad says it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know your father. Don't say I'm, anything. He's sensitive. Just like you. The special little boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, after we get all of the explosions of Krypton in the most uh death starry way, just complete explosion, we get uh little kid Clark. Uh, falling to earth and then teenage clark who does get bullied his mom was right to be worried uh what did you think of mon pa kent and his time in uh 1950s smallville it's fun you know i like that you get different bits of scenery throughout the movie too you have krypton which is very (laughs) crystalline and (laughs) sci-fi futuristic glowing suits then you're put straight into a Norman Rockwell painting, like you said, Johnny, in Smallville, big open rolling fields, um, old timey cars, trains, very classic Americana. And then Metropolis is New York City in the 70s. You get San Francisco later on. So I enjoyed the Smallville section. It's brief. It feels really brief, especially when we when you compare it to a lot of more modern superhero movies where, you know, the first in the series is going to be an origin and it can feel very dragged out. And, oh, God, the parent has to die and they have to come out of Gotham or wherever. And this is just like we meet John and Martha Kent. John is dead 30 seconds later and Clark is on his way. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a teeny little appetizer. It's like those spoonfuls of um, soup that you get at a wedding. Like you get a literal <laughs> sip of Smallville, and then it's like, anyways, the pasta course is next. Please take your seat. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, before you take one bite, and the waiter takes the whole bowl out of your hand. It's like well, that tasted good, I guess. Yeah, I guess I like one half of a tiny spring roll. Right. What's for dinner? So it's just enough. Yeah. Um, I love that portion of the movie. Yeah. It's small, but it's just, again, I, everyone will probably say the last third of the movie, the metropolis, all that stuff is where the movie picks up steam. It's the best part of the movie. Da da da. I honestly, the first two thirds of this, like whatever, small, smallville and, and Krypton, smillville. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, are honestly my favorite parts. I don't know why. Maybe because I just I watched it so many times as a kid. Maybe I just like got tired or fell asleep or whatever, and never finished the movie as much. I think that it's probably the case for a lot of kids watching two out uh, two and a half hour movies. You just give yep. up at some point. But yeah, I because there is a a tonal shift once we get to Metropolis. They start injecting humor. They got all this stuff going on it's a, a lot more busier of a movie before where it's again it's a little more methodic it's a little more quieter there's a nice build-up to it but but even like like when he first arrives like the kid like that whole sequence with the kid getting out of the uh or him as a baby getting out of the thing like ass naked lifting the truck and everything is gold <laughs> to me i fucking love that shit he's got like this like shit eating grin on his face like he knows he's gonna conquer this fucking ball in this in this guy 
But yeah, love that stuff. I love that they use like a younger actor for him during this section too. I like the awkward like running that he does next to the train. It's so, it's so awesome. <laughs> he looks like a marionette like running. To the <laughs> yeah, like I imagine he's on set like in a flight rig essentially just hovering just above the ground so he can move all his arms and legs real fast. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good. It's so silly. And he's like he's pumping his arms. Oh, it's, it's great. Good stuff. He's just waving at the little girl on the train yeah. who then like elbows her mom as hard as she can. <laughs> just points like, look, it's... a man running, mom. <laughs> it's so wholesome. That whole section is so wholesome. It's like there's no sinners anywhere. Yep. Even the rock around the clock crew, like like <laughs> <laughs> like catching up to him later on. Like they barely insult him. I know. Like, how did like, you catch up, you loser? And then they drive away. Like, what a weirdo. Like the best he they ran? Got. You're what not weirdo. cool enough to listen to records with us. Yeah. <laughs> Over at See Betty's See you later. House. We're doing the Lindy Hop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pick up all the football equipment, you weirdo. <laughs> you weirdo. Why are you so fast, you loser? No, oh, wait. <laughs> when he kicks the football. <laughs> oh, I love that. I was uh, oh. I was reading how they did that one though, uh, and it was basically they just had like a cannon on the ground and shot a football out of the cannon. Well, I'm glad to hear it was practical and not like a, I don't know, drawn yeah, in no, or whatever. Practical, like he he goes up and does like the running up, and then is it like there's a cut there, and then when it comes back, the ball you see flying through the air was just shot out of the cannon. Right. But yeah, even I guess I mean whatever. Like the heart attack is like super sudden and it's kind of bizarre. But like I love that sequence and John Williams' music gets to like the darkest, deepest part of maybe the movie, and that whole somber part from like him dying to like him sniffing out the crystal in the barn is just like I love that shit. It was lit so well. It feels ominous. It feels very Spielbergish. It's just. That's the like I get. I like the science fiction stuff. Yeah. That's where most of it shined. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Like I, I remark on how short it feels, not in a bad way, but in a in a refreshing way. You know, I feel yeah. like in a modern movie there would be something like you'd hear a character say like the crystal, and so you'd have to wait fifteen <laughs> minutes to find the crystal and get to. You know what I mean? It would feel. Yeah much more drawn out and this movie just li- like here are the beats that we we need to hit we're gonna do them as elegantly and as succinctly as we can while still giving room to breathe there's not a lot of talking there's not a lot of martha kent being like you know your father bubble like yeah it's, it's all an- visual storytelling yeah it's yeah and you know, the, their final goodbye is just very simple. Like, I knew this day would come. Don't forget about me. Right. It's very Boy it's, walking it's off into a field. Right. And any emotions you have at that point are earned. They're not forced. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just enough for you to feel for what's happening and transpiring. And this trip up north, which I love that sequence too. Just him going up and throwing that fucking crystal like a mile away. And then. <laughs> yeah. Walking past a polar bear, like, ugh. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Water. <laughs> I know it. It gets very close to like uh, Misfit Toys sequence from fucking <laughs> like with the 
with the fake iceberg and like, yeah, like what's that fucking thing that comes out of the ground? That's what I say, the narwhal. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Hi, Kal El. Hope you find your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and find his dad, he does. And find yeah, he does. Uh, one thing to to your point about the like the death, and I think makes it better on rewatch, especially given every superhero trope and movie that we've seen, is that there's not like a heart to heart as Paz Kent's dying, which like is so much it's so much nicer considering I've seen Uncle Ben and Thomas and Martha Wayne die a million times on screen. Is that like he gives him the heartfelt conversation first as they're just like walking and have a good time, and then he dies rather than them being like. Hey, you really shouldn't run and show off your powers, kids. Oh, no, a heart attack. Let me give you a heartfelt confession. Yeah, because it feels like this is our, it feels earned. Yeah. You're going to, I'm going to give you this affirmation in a, when times are good. Yeah, And because there's so many times that you see this, like, you know, we have to tug at your heartstrings and he's on his deathbed giving the advice everyone knows is coming. Like, no, like. You don't always get to have a long, drawn-out goodbye speech when someone dies. Sometimes they just die, and there's nothing you can do yeah. about it, and you have to mourn at that point. And it feels more realistic as a result. Yeah. That's why my dad hugs me a lot. We, don't, <laughs> we, 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 we pepper it in over our lives, so we don't have to take care of it in a big chunk at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Pockhead's always been a very loving father, you know, so. Right, yeah, yeah, of course. He, he raised him right, and... Yeah, I'm sure there was plenty of hugs along the way. <laughs> but yeah, and then like Metropolis, and it's like you don't even see Superman. Like you don't see him in his getup till like like an hour or more in. Yeah, it's like an hour six, an hour seven into the movie where he just like magically reappears in the Fortress of Solitude, and he's got the full on Superman suit. And I kind of like that. There's no explanation as to where it came from. It's not like in other things where it's like, oh, this adult man's costume was in the ship with you when you crash landed here put it on as you go be a superhero which i feel like is what happens a lot of times with superman's costume in particular now bridget when we get to metropolis what is we like like i mentioned the tonal shift was that like fairly evident to you right from the get or was it jarring it doesn't feel jarring it's evident for sure but it just feels, you know, like we've we've left Kansas. You know, we've we've left Kansas. We've gone to the Fortress of Solitude. We've flown through space for twelve years. Whether actually, I, that wasn't clear to me whether he was actually flying through space or just like on a metaphorical, mystical walkabout. But he's got the suit, and now we're here, and now we're ready to have just more elements thrown at us, more zaniness. You know, now he's ready, I guess. I enjoyed it. I don't know. I like Metropolis. I love I love Margot Kidder in this movie. I think is also why I was like, yes, more of this. I'm enjoying right. this. I think the problem with me when that section arrives, it takes me a little while to get used to it. Kind of like get like once you get off a boat, you're like off, like off of a cruise ship or something, you gotta get used to the land or whatever. But yeah. for <laughs> For me, it's just because and it's hard to fault the movie just because in the beginning they're trying to establish such a mythology with the movie and it's kind of serious. And so the score is going to be serious. 
And then we went to Metropolis and we get like, you know, like the Jawa motif of like fucking <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden we get a completely different score from Williams and it's obviously fitting for what's happening on screen. But there's none of that in the beginning kind of sprinkled in a little bit to sort of prepare you to hear some of that later on. So it just seems like all of a sudden we're getting a different movie, but um it takes a little while to get used to, especially all the lavish craziness that's happening in the Grand Central is quite a departure from uh, Krypton and Smellville. So, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with matching. And I think this is where the, the Jawa tone and the, the theme comes in is because the music is trying to match the bumbling, clumsy Clark. And so oh, yeah. it, it does throw it off completely because like even teenage Clark in Smallville is still kind of just like he's a little depressed because he can't go listen to records and the football team bullies him by knocking over all the pads and helmets. He's not putting on an act to differentiate between the strong, confident Superman and his secret identity. So the score kind of does undercut a little bit more than it does in the rest of the movie because it's really trying to sell you on the fact that like this man who's 6'4", 220, doesn't know how to use a revolving door and bumps into everybody and is constantly like, you know, bumbling through life. But I can see, I can see how that would be kind of jarring. Right. And unless I miss it this time around, but there's never really a discussion, which I think in later iterations there are about warning him about trying to fit in and don't showing off your powers and don't doing this and don't doing that particularly from Ma Kent at the end, because that's like the last person that he kind of sees leaving the town. So it just seems like all of a sudden he just comes up with this idea. Like this is, I'm going to be a bumbling idiot to disguise myself or has someone sort of instructed me to sort of find a way creatively to mask this serious power that I have. Yeah. I don't know what the goal here is. I know in like man of steel, Pa Kent is very much a, you got to hide who you are. You got. Yeah, that's what I loved I about mean, like that iteration is that there was a lot of emphasis on hiding it or you're going to be like a pariah. Like you're going to people are going to cast you out. They're going to string you up. They're going to try and hunt you down, whatever. But there is a little bit of that with um, the speech that that Jonathan gives right before the heart attack where he says, when we first found you and saw the things we could do, we thought people would come and take you away. So I guess from that standpoint, that does instill a little bit of like, if people knew what you could do, they're they're going to want to experiment on you and come for you. But yeah, it's not yeah. it's not nearly as laid on as it is in both Man of Steel, but also the entire first like five seasons of the Smallville show is just like, don't ever. Oh, don't don't do a power. Don't right. don't do it. <laughs> you're going to you're going to be a experiment. You're going to be a, you know, a lab monkey. To, like, don't don't ever do any powers. Please. Right. But so, yeah, again, it's a little more like subtle. A bit of a point where they could have, you know, linked it up a little better where it's like, oh, I got to think of something. And maybe the, the comedic element would have been, oh, that's he's that's good. What he's going to be? He's going to be a bumbling idiot. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, I it, just for me again, I don't want to just coming back to it that just the shift in general to Metropolis is is a big pill for me to swallow kind of in the beginning every time I watch it. But afterwards, it. It picks up the steam, he flies again, the score comes back, it sort of comes back around to the beginning. Yeah, how do you feel about the the dichotomy between Clark and Superman that we get once we get into the latter half of the movie? I love it. 
Because Reeve is really good at both. Mm, very you know, much so. As Clark, he's fumbling and dopey, but you still are endeared to him. Um, you still, or at least I am, like, oh, poor <laughs> guy. You're just trying your best. And then as Superman, again, very warm, very magnetic. I find sometimes the characterization of Superman can be really flat and an alien, which makes sense. He is technically an alien. Yeah. But Reeves plays him so, so warmly and so charismatically. You're like, oh, okay. You just, you're so, you're such a good guy. I'm like Miss Whatever at the end of the, in the pool in Grand Central Station. Like, I just want to <laughs> lay one on you. You're just so sweet and nice. Yeah. He's like, why'd you kiss me? Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. What kind of question is that? Wake up, Kal-El. No, he's so good. He's so good. And I, like, had never... I'm trying to think of any other Christopher Reeve performances that I'm familiar with. Like, sadly, the the thing that, for me, I know him best for is, you know, what happens to him later in life when he's paralyzed in the accident, sort of his activism afterwards, which is a good thing. But, you know, seeing him in this role just makes what happens to him later all that much more tragic Mm -hmm. because you can just see he's brimming with star power. He's brimming with charisma. He's so good in this role. So good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was picked over two. They, I think they screen tested or tested over 200 actors. Uh, Would you like to hear some of the people who both were considered originally, but turned it down or, Screen tested, Bridget. Yes, I would. Okay. So some of the producers' choices, this is originally a list that DC was given a list of actors to be considered for Superman and approved the producers' choices of Muhammad Ali, <laughs> Al Pacino. Oh, no, I mean, it's it's an unconventional choice for Superman for sure. And I honestly do not think people of the 70s would have been appreciative at all. Al Pacino, James Kahn. Uh, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin uh, Hoffman? Dustin Hoffman. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, let's see. There were some other things here. Okay. Were they uh, just naming men? Yeah, pretty much. Were they just naming Basically, famous men? Yeah, someone well, took a were... notepad out the Hollywood Boulevard and just wrote down every name they saw on a star. They're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they wanted an A-list actor at first. Um, Robert Redford was all, was offered a large sum of money, but he felt he was too famous there. Uh, Burt <laughs> uh, Reynolds turned down the role. Uh, Sly Stallone was interested, but nothing ever came of it. Paul Newman was offered his choice of Superman, Lex, and Jor-El for $4 million, and he turned down all three. Bruce Jenner auditioned for the role. Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son, was cast but then dropped out uh, when John Wayne got stomach cancer. Oh. Neil Diamond and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> lobbied for the role. 
So imagine Superman starring Neil Diamond for some reason. Wait, I'm wait a minute. We need Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. In Smallville. <laughs> What's the line? Like that he says like I love America and freedom. You know, like, what in the yeah. world? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, God, let's see. Priceless. Who are some other names? We got James Caan, James Brolin, Christopher Walken, Nick Nolte, John Voight were all approached. Chris Christopherson and Charles Bronson were also considered. And Warren Beatty was offered the role but turned it down. Uh, James Caan said that he turned it down because he just couldn't wear the suit. All uh, right. At, Sour grapes. Yeah. At one point... Um, they basically were saying like they found either people with the physique or people with the acting and they couldn't find both. At one point they even screen tested one of the producer's uh, wife's dentist just to, just to try. Um, and then they finally well, get, gave, get a, get a round number. Yeah. And then they finally gave Christopher Reeve the screen test. Uh, they originally said he was too skinny and wanted him to wear a muscle suit. And he said, no, that's going to look ridiculous. Uh, so instead got onto a workout regimen with Star Wars' own David Prowse and basically bulked up and gained like 40 pounds to put on the suit and or 30 pounds. He went from 188 to 212 to fill out the suit. I just see wow. like the casting call going like how Lois Lane is interviewing him. Like, how big are you? I, 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 how tall are you? <laughs> we need someone yeah, to fill out this suit, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> tell me, does everything work? Yeah. <laughs> James kind of like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Can't wear this suit. Can't wear this suit. Done. Can't show this thing off. Can't embarrass myself. But yeah, uh, I don't think this movie works with anybody else but Christopher Reed. Yeah. Bridget, what do you think of the first uh, him in action with the helicopter? Thrilling. Good I stuff. can't imagine watching that in 1978. I would have been like those people, like when the train drove through the screen, <laughs> running for, just jumping up and down and screaming. Yeah. It do looks you believe good. a man could fly? I do. I believe a yeah. man and a woman could fly. Yeah. Hers was a little more wonky because there's no way her muscle would be able to hold out completely straight and not just be dangling by her wrist <laughs> yeah. as he was flying with her. But whatever. Suspending all disbelief here, it was wonderful. Yeah. Right. We didn't mention it, but this, I guess I was reading that this was the most expensive film at that date. So, I mean, yeah. it does make a little bit of sense that some of these effects are holding up because a lot of money was, was thrown at it. But I think yeah, probably 15% great. of the bill was just them phoning every single man in Hollywood. <laughs> do you want to do it? Do oh, yeah, it? for sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. flight, like even now, and granted, I'm sure the, you know, the HBO Max version that we watched would have been cleaned up and restored and up and all these different things. But like sometimes that happens and it looks really wonky. And here it it looks immaculate. Him flying in front of the matte painting and the video boards and whatever they were using is just like seamless. It never looks wonky. It never looks out of place. He never looks herky jerky. And like even his transition where he's almost like swimming through the air where like he just does like one hand and then he's like, no, I'm just going to kind of like do a little barrel roll and switch hands. It's all just like seamless and effortless and looks like a man who just knows how to fly. Yeah, I mean, it looks really good to me. I mean, listen, I obviously from a, thinking about how they filmed it, it's like, OK, yeah, I know they did the cables. 
the video on loop in the background or whatever. But like even at that, you get past that and like you buy it like immediately. It's not something that is ruining it for you whatsoever. But I do love like the the Superman like dump, if you will, like Superman action dump that we get pretty much right after that. It's like, all right, we got her. Now let's every single scenario. We, let's see what we can do, put him through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get the car chase. We get the, the like the money heist on, onto the boat. We yeah, get the rescuing the cat from the tree. Uh, A the plane weird... where he becomes an engine. Yeah, I love the pilot's reaction of like, just fly. Don't ask me any questions. Just trust me that we're good. It's going to be way too confusing if I try yeah, to explain I, to you. Yeah, I, I got. It, I wrote it down because it was so good. He goes, it is a lot more simple than that. He goes, fly. Don't look fly <laughs> just fly and my favorite my favorite because there's so many good little reactions to this and that's like one of my the, the funniest parts of the movie to me are people there must be like seven people in this movie who go what the hell <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite one is when he like catches the guy who's using the suction cups on like the glass window <laughs> and he falls and catches him and then like the guy in the office looks quickly and looks back and goes nah yeah. Like, nah. <laughs> there's nothing there. No, nah, that was nothing. My favorite from that is when the old cop is being like, nah, I swear. He just dropped this guy right in front of me and he had a cape and red boots and then he just flew off. And the guy's like, yeah, whatever, old man. I'm like, why don't you go down to Barney's bar and have yourself, like, continue what you started. And then, <laughs> uh, then they both see and he's like, all right, first bottle's on me. I wrote this down too, and I don't know who said it or what, why it was said, but I wrote down bad vibrations, and I forget who said it, but it's not coming to me right away. But I thought that was so funny to me. Oh, it's he says it when he drops the, I think it's the suction cup guy onto the street, and he just looks at him like, uh, what? And he's like, bad vibrations. Instead of, you know, good vibrations, I guess. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I thought it just it came off as really funny to me. Yeah. So we haven't talked about it much, Bridget, but once we get to Metropolis, we get the unveiling of our villain for this movie, which, as we mentioned in the before part, is named Lex Luthor and is played by Yale actor extraordinaire Gene Hackman. What did you think of Lex and his cronies and his whole just kind of like general vibe and Hackman nature? I mean, I could watch Gene Hackman read the phone book. It's fine. I wish there had been more yelling. I wish there had been more menace. Mm. He does come off a tad goofier uh, than I think his acting would allow him for. Like, he could be much more menacing. Uh, but yeah. something about him yelling, Miss Tasbaka! <laughs> constantly throughout the film just delights me. Yeah. And just, like, he's he's still very straightforwardly playing this ludicrous situation. Just as it is like him monologuing standing in a pool in a subway station with his robe halfway in the water. It's still delightful. That robe in the water always like bothered me as a kid. I just, I, I bothered me just as much as Lex Luthor. <laughs> it bothered him. Like, what is he doing? He's getting wet. Just take two like, steps bother? forward. Yeah. Because it's probably like all the times of getting out of pool or something as a kid and just grabbing the towel and like your mother's like, you got to get out of the pool first where you put it just. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing's worse than like putting on something wet when you're already wet. It's just like, no. Oh, yeah. 
was bad. And you're, right. And you're like a kid and you weigh like 40 pounds and the towel is like 40 pounds wet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, to your point about the villain, it's like I was thinking about it. It's like if you took like a villain from like the Joel Schumacher Batman and put it in like the Tim Burton movie, like that's kind of what this is. Like, is a little too goofy for what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Bring like the sort of like quirky off kilter you know, clockwork orange type of behavior, if you will, but it does become like a little Looney Tunes. And again, whatever it is for the kids, wide audience. But like I said, that sort of Jawa tonal shift is just, I don't know, welcomed a little too much for this movie. But I love the set. I love the Grand Central underground bullshit. I know. I want to live there. Forget, you know, Park Avenue West or whatever. Like, I want to live there. Yeah, 200 feet below Park Park West. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if Otis were slightly less stupid, that it would feel less like an Adam West Batman villain performance. He definitely is way too high a level of camp. Right, because it's like almost every time we open up on a scene going into Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor doesn't open up the scene. It's that dude. It's Otis. And all of a sudden it turns to the score. It's like, boom. Boom, 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 boom. It's like, what <laughs> the fuck is going on? <laughs> so it's like he's always introducing, like, the this oddball, funny, Looney Tunes situation. And Lex Luthor seems to be, like, fighting up, digging his way back up to being a little more serious, if you will. But, yeah, it's like it's he's too bumbling of an idiot, I think. Okay. I do love when he tries to rob the blind newspaper stand oh. operator and the dog's just like not having it. Like, put that pretzel back, motherfucker. <laughs> and I like the guy says, how many do you take? Two? <laughs> good boy. Oh, That's talking to the dog? Boy. Talking to the dog. <laughs> how many take, boy? Two, huh? What did you think of his grand, uh, his grand plan to buy up all the land on the opposite side of the San Andreas Fault and then just... Turn it into beachfront property. Sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Why not? You know. Yeah, that's like one insane plot point from like a comic book. They're like, let's keep that in. Like, let's let's not fuck with that one. That sounds good to us. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's it's refreshing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just like cool. I like it. Yeah, I, I just. Otisburg and all that shit. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Again, it's not a mystery that we're unraveling. Like, what do you mean? What is Raza Ghoul going to do to Gotham? It's just like, nope, I'm going to blow up the San Andreas Fault and drop California into the ocean and be rich. Like, it's it's Dr. Evil and it's cartoonishness. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it approaches that level. Yeah. And there's no, like, this villain has a secret, like, political axe to grind. Nope. I just want to drop California into the ocean. Like I dropped that guy onto the subway tracks. Yeah. No, but my favorite, when they're putting down the, like, list of new places where it's, like, Lexville and, like, Luther City and Otisburg is written in Sharpie. Uh, (laughs) But one that I never noticed is at the top is... Because Otis makes mention of like, well, Miss Tessmacher gets her own area, and it's the Tessmacher Peaks, which is just a really funny oh. like nod to her uh, stacked nature. Uh, which has a there's a couple of scenarios in this where they're just like 
uh, her being passed out in the army shows up and sexually assaults her. And just like, there's a lot of tongue in cheek references to her uh, look, as it were. Yeah. Like, what do we do? How do we save her? I don't know. I think a chest massage might do it, but if not, mouth to mouth. Now stand back, Sonny. I'm not willing to make you do anything I'm not willing to do. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That whole plot to just destroy California is like a Trump platform stance, essentially. It's like something that he, like, promised and didn't deliver on. Yeah, I think my biggest problem with it, not like the plan is fine and it's devious, I guess, and it's also cartoony and it's designed, but just the whole sequence of all right, now we have to have the bumbling idiot go set the coordinates on the satellite and we have to do misdirects and then that fails. So we got to do a different misdirect where rather than have Otis try again, we're going to have Miss Tessmacher uh, climb a bridge still wearing her like damsel in distress outfit, but with a tool belt strapped around her waist. Yeah, I, I'll be the first to admit I stepped away and made a sandwich right during that sequence. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember this. This is going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. Because they're going to do three ridiculous truck heists. One that involves what I think is insinuated to be like a soldier gang rape of some poor lady. Mm-hmm. Just bad taste. <laughs> but it's like the all the soldiers like turn around. It's like, oh, my God. Did we need that? Yeah, I was I was a little bit tuned out at that point. Yeah, it's a sequence in a two and a half hour movie that absolutely does not need to exist. You could just have him. You know, like hacking still probably existed at this time. Like you could have had some kind of weird he's got satellite uplink something, like, you know, like some primitive 1978 version of hacking that you could have probably gotten away with. Or just do one sneaking into a compound wearing a wig and a disguise, like just have him go do it or just do it once. Like I don't need to I don't need the, you know, damsel in distress tied to the train track style misdirection. It's just. It's creepy and it's weird and it takes too long. Yeah. 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 Or just like, I don't even need to see it. You know, he can just say, I did it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like like how he went and got the meteorite. Yeah. He went to Abu Dhabi or whatever it was called. I don't remember the name of the place. Oh, Addis Ababa. Yeah. Yeah. Addis Ababa. Um, just like he just went and did it and they said off screen, like someone broke in, stole this and murdered some people and took a big rock. Just do that. Be like, there was a break in at a naval facility and nothing was taken. So they don't know what happened, but we know he redirected the coordinates or whatever. Like just have Perry in that exposition to Clark about like manning up and being a, you know, assertive fella, just have him say those two crimes and then we've got it covered and you've just chopped 10 minutes. Right. Off. Have it be in the paper or something and then like just move on. Have yeah. it be a headline. Bridget, what do you think of the uh, the romantic flight at night? Oh, I loved that. I'm sorry. I was an Aladdin girl. It was very <laughs> whole new world. Yeah, um, very much so. And I like the whole interview scene that leads up to it is very cute. They're both trying to feel each other out a little bit. Who has a planter made of lead? That's not my right. business because I'm transported. Yeah. Old fashioned New York happening. rooftops. Yeah. Or metropolis yes. rooftops. A lot of lead construction. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he looked into her chest to make sure that she didn't have lung cancer yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. But she puts the cigarette out. She listens to him because he she never does. lies. Except even though his when whole, he does. <laughs> yeah, even though his whole thing is, I'm a different person. Although technically he's not lying. He's never saying he's not Superman. 
he is Clark Kent, so he's not lying when he says that he's Clark. So it's a lie by omission, I guess. Your mileage may vary on what that what that is a lie or not. Right. I just I love good romantic tension. I do. And they they have it like you want them to end up together and they don't technically. Yeah, there's no there's no kiss. There's no like big happy ending swell. It's just her inner monologue of I hope you can hear this because I really want to jump your bones, Superman. Yeah, that's a bit that was a strange choice, but it was I'll allow it. (laughs) I'll allow it. Um. Yeah, the only person who's getting smooched is Miss Tessmacher. Mm-hmm. Well, she Fortune technically she se- Yeah, technically she sexually assaulted Superman, but True. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you wouldn't let me afterwards. Yeah, um, that line makes it so much creepier. <laughs> like, d- ma'am. <laughs> Doesn't make ma'am. it okay. The capper to that scene is when Clark shows up at the apartment. Mm-hmm. so that's, sweet that's one shot there's no cut there that's one they they, they did yeah. it in such a way where like he flies off screen and they like used that video from before and then like when she walks in like there's no cut it's one solid shot of him flying off and then being at the door yeah i gave it like 30 seconds of like thought about did they just like, get him off the cable and throw like it th- i'm like no they didn't do that <laughs> they must have spliced <laughs> it somehow yeah yeah, but it, it it like at least seems like one continuous shot. Yeah, I just love like the door opens and he tries to like insert himself into the apartment and he's just stumbling around and all his stumbling is great. It's great. Yeah. But to your point about him playing both parts really good, it's more noticeable there than ever because he mm-hmm. there's that point where he's like, "Do I just approach her as Superman?" Like he pumps out his chest, he stands up, he has better posture and talks, you know, with a more deeper voice. And then he's like, fuck it, and puts on the glasses. <laughs> gets gets into like a Quasimodo stance and like <laughs> Well, he could tell that she's completely puts, puts, like, puts on the nerdy. She but, might as yeah. well be on Krypton. Like her brain is right. not not on this planet anymore because she is still in the sky flying around with Superman. Smitten. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing smitten he can for, say or do. Smitten for Smillville. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What's the line? No, no, I'm I'm Clark Good. Yeah, that's Clark Nice. Yeah, that's (laughs) Clark Nice. And he has this little smile, like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I got her. She's good. He he can see what's go. He can see what's going on in her panties. (laughs) Yeah. Wait until the sock hop crew hears about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we rocked around the clock. Mm -hmm. We did it. Oh my god. So one thing that I think has been kind of a point of contention uh with regards to this movie is the uh finale in which mm-hmm. Superman flies around the world backwards to reverse time. How did you feel seeing that for the first time? So it was not my first time seeing it. I knew that that was a plot point in at least one of the movies. I wasn't okay. sure if it was this one. Gotcha. Um but once once I saw her red car, I was like, oh, it is it is the first one. Um, <laughs> I, you know, like, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. It didn't take you out of it or anything. Because, like, because like, uh, 
common complaint is that like it's so unrealistic in a movie that granted should be a little unrealistic and if you think about it for three seconds you're just like no no every person would fly off the planet if it stopped rotating in the same direction and then rotated elsewhere like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and it just kind of seems like a too easy uh reversal of these things that just happened and the destruction and her dying and you know all these other different elements to it and it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny but you were okay you weren't no okay the ending i'm fine with it like i just it's perfectly fine i know when i was a kid and it kind of came back to me when i was watching it and i was like I always felt some sort of terror. Well, obviously, it's a, it's a hard thing to scene to watch with her, all the sand and all that shit going into mm-hmm. the car. It's very claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. For a kid, it was a hard watch. And when she was pulled out of the car and she was unresponsive, that might have been like the first like dead body I've seen in a movie. And I was like, what? What is happening? Like, why is she waking up? Oh, so okay. I think that was kind of like a shock for me. Like, I had that feeling watching it, and I, I could only think that that's kind of what I thought at the time because it's such a, I don't know. It's obviously, I'm, I'm supposed to feel very bad about what I'm seeing, but also that's maybe the first time, like I said, I've maybe seen, like, death in a movie. Mm. So, okay. But, yeah, I know, it's it's uh, it's it's fine. I'm fine with In Reverse in Time. Yeah, that's all. It has been always one of those things where I'm just like, eh, it's the one thing I don't really like about this movie is the reversing time aspect. Because it, again, it doesn't really make sense. Because if he reverses time, then when he goes back, wouldn't the dam still re break? Like, it, he both reverses time and completely changes it without doing anything. Like, if there was a scene where he stopped the, the missile from hitting the fault and then went to go yeah. make sure Lois was okay, because she'd be stranded with the gas. Okay, fine. Like then it makes sense because he's reversed it enough to stop all of the things that happened afterwards. But like, wouldn't the dam rebreak? Wouldn't the flood still go towards the city? Like, would he still have to go do all those sure, other things? Sure, sure. Um, you can't sit on it. That's for sure. No, exactly. And it, again, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. It's just one of those things where it's like this is the piece that I really dislike, uh, just because it's too easy and too convenient, but doesn't make sense in even the vaguest of sense given what just happened. And they could have just, they could have done one thing to really save that scene when he's spinning around the earth. All they had to do was cue clock around the rock (laughs) and do it like that with the lyrics to switch. (laughs) That would have been perfect. Yeah. Just to call back to the, uh, to the gangs of his youth. Yeah. I do like all that disaster shit though. Like when it's happening, like the, the bus and everything that looked cool. The, the, the water and, him, you know, creating, uh, I don't know, a dam with rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> him being like a like a train rail for like thirty seconds is pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a good point, I guess. If he re, re you know reversed it back, then you would have to sort of see some of that shit transpire in some way or another. Yeah, like all it would have taken is a scene where he's like, "Okay, cool. I know where the missile is. I know where Lois is, and because I've reversed time." I'm now closer to the, I can make myself closer to the point where I can stop the rocket and Lois will be fine as a result. And then, okay, fine. I'll buy that a lot, a lot more than just, I reverse time just to the point where I saved Lois <laughs> or before she fell in. She didn't even fall in a second time, but again, yeah, it she's doesn't just there like, anything. 
my car's out of gas. Yeah. You asshole. <laughs> Though that moment this is, is your sweet. fault. It is sweet because like Superman just looks at her like, oh, good old Lois. Like she's complaining about the gas explosion and me not being there in time. And she's just like right back into normal Lois as opposed to the Lois we just saw, which was petrified and scared and grasping for air and trying to claw her way out of a car. Mm-hmm. And that's how he knows that she's all right in the grand scheme. Yeah. I do like Jor-El coming back in the end and sort of like saying you can't do this because I that it would have been nice to have a little bit more of that during the movie where because it shows Clark uh, he's angry and fighting against something but he could also be having like an inner battle with these responsibilities and everything and that's never really brought up Mm -hmm. much he sort of accepts it and it's like cool I can do this you know what I mean like it just it's like a kid who can like roll his eyes around or something you know what I mean like I get no or you can I can lick my elbow you can't. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the way he treats it. Yeah. Yeah. There it may it plays it off in the end like it's a battle between birth father and raised father, but because it's really the only time where those two are at odds, it doesn't really seem as impactful as I think it's probably meant to be. Right. I just I, I it'd be nice for him to, for for it to show that he had a little of a harder time getting into these these powers or maybe being irresponsible with it in the beginning, like running along the side of a train and exposing yourself to all these people. <laughs> and then later <laughs> and then later on being a little more uh, reserved uh, and responsible for that stuff um, and disciplined that and then figuring out like, you know, like, oh, I maybe shouldn't be doing this or how how should I go through life with this shit? Um, but again, it's like it, it is very happy go lucky. The movie it lives in that world. So I can't fault it too much for not diverting into you know, a dour sort of sequence of him like crying in the rain, like, I don't want these powers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I can't think of anything I would want less. Ugh. I'm so glad you're so delighted by the movie, by the way. Oh, I was just yeah. like, I'm on cloud nine right now, nice. holding Superman's hand, <laughs> asking him if he can read my mind. Just so and that way he'll know is, that you loved it. I love it. Yeah. One thing I want to touch on quickly, because uh, I know you mentioned it in the before part, uh, we didn't do a costume corner. What did you think of the 70s outfits? And more importantly, what did you think of the Superman suit on screen? So the Superman suit is, it's bright. <clears throat> That's about the only thing it has kind of going for it. It does look a little bit silly, I think. It, listen, let's, it's. It, it looks like it came from Halloween World, guys. All right. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it looks like it was on a rack. That I, but it's iconic. It's it's the blue, the yellow, the red. And I love like in the beginning where like even the baby has like a tinfoil sack. That's I don't know what the fuck he's in, but it's also has that color scheme. He's swaddled with it or something. But um, yeah. yeah and then it it's honestly it's the brightest it, it'll probably ever be. It's only yeah. gotten like darker in tone and now it's like like clay red and like <laughs> Yeah. Like gray Steel, and Yeah, if you look at the Man of Steel suit, it's much it's a much darker blue. It's a much more almost burgundy red. Uh it's just a lot deeper. Whereas this is just bright and the yellow is bright, whereas the yellow is more muted on a lot of the newer suits and costumes. Even something like Superman Returns which is technically set, I think, in this same continuity. Even that suit's much more subdued, much more muted. And this one very much stands out. 
which it should. I yeah. To me, I don't. The... It should be as bright as the American flag. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like who's clamoring for. I want a superhero, but like mellow. No, like mm-hmm. they should like lead right. into to the extravagant and you know wonderful elements of these stories like not everything has to be gritty yeah again that's that's where i was kind of getting at it's like this movie lives in like this colorful space it's like sesame Mm -hmm. street like you know what i mean there's just only (laughs) Mm -hmm. the color wheel is like nine colors like pick one and that's like the color of the muppet on set or the puppet on set yeah um but yeah, again, just if you start inviting grit in these darker emotions in movies, you sort of have to reflect that visually with what's on screen. So here it just makes sense. Like even like him crying and holding Lois or whatever and screaming in like bright red, bright blue, bright yellow. It's just it's kind of stark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's contrasting, if you will, to what to yeah. what you're seeing. But no, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> no. Other costume corners, uh, Lois's caftan. <laughs> oh, I might have done some light googling. <laughs> I'll let you guys know how it goes. Yeah, I'm sure there's oh, a Margot Kidder outfit Pinterest board that will give you, you know, her power suit, her her nightgown, her, her coat, <laughs> the outfit she's wearing when they get mugged. I think mm. she's wearing a, a kitten heel when she kicks the gun out of the guy's hand. Stunning. That mugging is so funny. Hey, you, yeah. come here. Get over here. Get over here. Come Clark's on, keep, keep coming in. <laughs> Clark's bullet catch is great. And they're like, oh, I, I must have fainted. She's like, fainting, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you clown. Got shot. Yeah. Bumbling loser. Yeah. I'm Go sorry. back to the farm, Smallville. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else that you guys want to get out there? Any other final reactions? Bridget, do you want to put a bow on things? Um, Very happy we watched this. I would recommend to anybody who is in the mood to just be uplifted and delighted. And not have to think too much. Just <laughs> take it in. Just enjoy it. Right. Any interest in the sequel? Possibly. Okay. One thing I will say is that the sequel did have a little bit of development issues. Uh, Like I said, it was filmed 70% with this movie before Richard Donner just got like fed up and was like, can I just finish the first one? And then because of the working relationship on the first one, he gets removed from the second uh, and a different director comes in and kind of finishes it. And only in like 2004, did they go back and release a Richard Donner cut, which has more of the scenes fleshed out. And that is traditionally thought of as the better one. So if you, if you do want to seek that out, I would recommend the Richard Donner cut over the, the actual theatrical sequel. Yeah. Cause my, my, my understanding is, and I haven't seen the sequel in a while and I'm actually, if I'm ever going to watch it, it's probably going to be within 72 hours of this or I'll never (laughs) see it again. So I may as well see if I can sketch out some time for it. Yeah, dude, knuckle down, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I did hear the Donner cut takes away some of the silly, campy stuff that was Mm -hmm. added even more on top of what was sort of tonally set with this one. Yep. 
So I think, you know, I was reading that, you know, you have things where like the villain or whatever, like is blowing stuff at people. And instead of just like showing the chaos and people sort of like scrambling and getting hurt, they injected people like with their snow, like their, (laughs) their ice cream cones falling out of the cone or like an umbrella going inside out, or it just like, it turns into like, you don't need that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Superman by way of three stooges. Yeah. Correct. Um, but and then the third and fourth you can skip all together. All together, okay. yeah. Yeah. But okay. the second one, if I remember correctly, is very good. And again, it's not a, too much of a spoiler because they filmed it all together. But like those those three miserable son of a bitches that get lost in space in that mirror are are the villains in the second one. Right on. Yeah. And they're oh. they're, they're they're fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, and then just as a side note, I know you're not necessarily a comic book person, but just in case anybody's listening, DC has recently come out with a comic called Superman 78, which picks up directly after this movie and tells the story of Christopher Reeve's Superman going forward in comic form. So just another kind of if you really enjoy this, that's another continuing story just in a different medium. Yeah, I always uh, do love that Richard Donner would go on to do the Goonies. Yeah. We saw we both saw the Goonies, right? Yeah, we okay. have we have a person someone, on the list who okay, that's what it has was. Not. I think it's Josh. Yeah, where sloth where sloth opens up his shirt and he has the Superman shirt. It's like that's yep. great, that's good stuff. Right. I think uh, at one point in reading that Spielberg was approached for this, um, but basically they wanted to see how Jaws did first, and then when it did super well, he was just like completely in uh, in demand and probably wanted too much or demanded too much money. Uh, and then ultimately got sidetracked with doing Close Encounters. So he was booked up for uh, when they wanted him to do this anyway. Gotcha. But any final thoughts from you, Johnny? No, I'm glad we watched it. Like I said, it was great to sort of revisit this. I, I said 10 years before, it's, it had to have been much longer. But yeah, I will be happy to revisit this. I'd like to revisit it sooner than 10 years from now. But um, yeah, it's 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 a classic. It's It's a great American movie. Yeah, I'm so happy that you uh, that you liked it, Bridget. You know, anytime showing someone a comic book movie, there's always that trepidation that they're going to come away thinking it's silly and stupid. And man, Red Boots, what were they thinking? But I'm glad that you were that you were <laughs> I'm on all board. For the red boot. I'm glad you were on board from the get go, and that you you know you got an ice cream sundae with a cherry on top when all you were expecting was an ice cream sandwich. So yeah, happy that that we watched this and that everybody uh, had a good fun time but that'll do it for this week's episode of fine i'll watch it remember you can find every episode of fine i'll watch it every thursday morning at 9 a.m on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, podbean stitcher and spotify remember you can find us on facebook and twitter at broken clock pods so let's know what you think of superman the movie do you like the sequels what do you th- like about other Superman movies? And is this your favorite? Let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, but once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Bridget. And I'm Johnny. And thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.